Welcome to the Calibre podcast, brought to you by the Watches of Switzerland Group. I'm Faisal Terry, international senior watch buyer, and in this episode, I'm joined by Mark Tolson, global head of watch buying for the group. Today's episode is a review and wrap-up of the most anticipated time of year in the watch world, as retailers, collectors, clients and horology enthusiasts wait excitedly for new watch launches. The fair's format has changed from the familiarity of Basel and Geneva to a virtual week, Watches and Wonders. Today we'll talk about virtual watch fairs, how it's worked, what we think of the future of virtual versus physical fairs, key trends that we've noticed coming out of this year's fair, a talk on key pieces, unexpected surprises and releases and what we think about them, and always the key and favourite pieces uh, that we've seen this year. Mark, you've been part of the foundations of the watch industry for a long time and most of what you've forgotten about watches, most will never know. The watch fairs have always been integral to our role and for me, so I'm always quite excited. How has the virtual versus physical been different? This is the second time we've done the watch fairs as a virtual versus physical and how do they compare for you? Hi Faye. Well, I think we had a, a practice run almost forced upon the industry last year uh, with, with COVID. So, you know, so this time last year, we were seeing virtual launches from Breitling and a lot of the Richemont brands, your Cartiers, your IWCs, etc. Got, got, in, got in on the act and it was, um, it was a strange time. It, we were all finding our way through that. This year, we had planned to have the Geneva Fair in a physical form, but again, COVID has kind of put pay to that. And, and, and this year, the format has been similar to last year. It's been a lot more professional, perhaps. And I think one of the things we've noticed is some of the brands and some of the real personalities in the industry have, have almost taken a Hollywood approach to watch launches. Uh, when you think about what um, AP have done uh, with launching their new product, George Kern with his kind of acting role in, 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 the, in the presentation of some of his new lines. It's, 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 it's all very, very exciting stuff. And it's easy to, to navigate yourself through the meetings because you're doing it either at your desk or in, or, or in, your, or in your living room at home or office at home. And it's worked, it's worked particularly well, I think, that said, nothing ever replaces seeing the watches firsthand. And uh, you, you mentioned about you know Basel being a, a big part of your of your career here, and indeed for for all of us. And and the 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 thrill of standing at the turnstiles on on day one of Basel with you know loads and loads of other people, and then bursting through the turnstiles and making a bit of a mad sprint towards Patek and Rolex, which two three years ago were always opposite one another was was really exciting and that element of discovery i think when you look at the windows and you look you look you, you look at the 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 new lines on the stand isn't replaced by by a press release or or or, or um, anything that comes out on the internet per- personally for me but then i guess because i'm really quite old I, I kind of remember what things were like and really hope that they are like that again you know this time next year I hope we have a, a proper physical Geneva fair where we can actually see the product. And just to make this answer, this longer answer even longer, I mean, last about last August, September time, there were the Geneva watch days, um, and Brian, our CEO, and I went out to physically see some watches, and, and it was great. It was great to get on a plane again. It was great to go to Geneva, and it was great to actually see some people face-to-face rather than, uh, rather than uh, on, a, on a Zoom call. Uh, and actually see some watches and hold them. So I, I miss that a lot, but under the circumstances, none of this could have been done any other way, and it's been eminently professional and really well executed by, by all the brands at Watches and Wonders. That's that's good. So, I mean, the uncertainty for the 12 months, it's it's you know, it's been, well, tumultuous to say the least, and we were planning originally to go this year and then it then it all got cancelled can i just say i don't i wouldn't use the word old i'd say you're established mark so but i know what you mean it's that it's the it's the event and the theater of it all that we miss from the fairs as well as seeing the product itself physically holding it so there does seem to be benefits i liked the um, celebrity element it's really raising the profile uh, of the brands and the people behind the brands yeah there were quite a few instagram live videos with various actual celebrities and, and, um, and, and those that are establishing themselves within the industry as celebrities as well. So it's probably brought a really different dynamic element to our industry that people wouldn't have seen before, which is normally so traditional. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I suppose that's a benefit as well. But uh, I, I, I too can't wait to stand um, with, with, with a little pass in hand one day to, to see some actual watches again. <laughs>
So we're hopeful for next year that there will be a return to form of some familiarity. So we can do a big big discussion on trends. It's this we could do an entire podcast on this actually because it's so it's so relevant and our business as we are quite KPI driven, um, which isn't necessarily interesting to a a customer or anyone that's interested in in watches but um we we take a look at when we're doing our buying process we take a lot of detail into account so if something feels a little bit left field from a brand we might be slightly nervous or not necessarily purchase with a lot of intent or or or, or, or big orders unless it's a brand that we know just can't fail so let's start on key trends that we've noticed coming out of watches and wonders this year and let's start from the inside out in terms of movements from product that we've seen yeah it, it was interesting i mean there's lots of developments in in uh, in, in manual wines particularly uh, and also something quite exciting in terms of quartz but i mean generally what we sell are automatic movements almost I don't know, over 90% of all the watches that we sell at Watches Switzerland Group tend to be automatics. Uh, so they're powered by your wrist, and a good example of that is Rolex. That's how, how they work. And, and mechanical hand-wound watches, where you've actually just got to wind the thing up yourself, they only form a small part of, of what we sell. But what was noticeable were, was quite a few introductions in manual wind watches. So, I mean, just the other day, Patek released uh, the 6119, which is a Calatrava. That model's always been available as manual or automatic. Over recent years, they've reduced the number of options in, in that family, but they've relaunched a, a new movement, the 3255 PS. It's a twin barrel uh, mechanical hand-wound movement, and it looks absolutely beautiful. So that's manual, manual wind. Breitling have, re- have introduced the Premier Heritage chronograph and a split second chronograph they're hand wound uh, which is a little unusual but the um the, the chronograph the split second chronograph with with a blue dial is is, is an absolutely gorgeous watch and then amiga with the deville tresors they have their ma- master chronometer metas tested movement with a 70 hour 72 hour power reserve and that's manual wind as well so you've got all that manual wind stuff which is a little unusual a little counter to to what we're used to seeing but it is nice to see and i think there's something quite nice and personal about winding a watch up uh, and I was going to say winding a watch up every day, but I think maybe one of the things that puts some people off uh, manual wind watches is the fact that you did have to wind them up every day. But the Patek, for example, is a 65-hour power reserve, Amiga 72, and I think the Breitlings also uh, are around 60 hours. So you're, you don't need to wind those watches up so often. You can wear them in the week, and you can have the thing wound up on a Friday, and it'll still be going on a Monday. So technologies allowed perhaps mechanical hand-wound watches to, to develop and perhaps be more perhaps be more user friendly but in your life if you've only got if you've got no time to wind a watch up then it's an interesting life you're having so from the wonders of, of mechanical watches there's also a technology element as well from from Cartier in particular who um, have produced a, a, a movement they're calling the solar beat it's it's got a photovoltaic movement and they're releasing this model uh, this movement rather in the in the must collection which is a kind of entry entry level uh, cartier collection and basically at, at its most simplest it's it's a solar powered watch so you have these um, photovoltaic receptors under the roman numerals on the dial and they convert daylight or electric light energy into into uh, power uh, to the watch and, it, and it's stored in a battery so it does have a battery but the battery lasts for around 16 years before you'd probably have to change it so that's um, a fantastic development I mean a lot of the Cartiers now that are quartz movements have what they call high autonomy quartz movements with an eight-year battery life this is this is double that and they say it's powered by light but you do need a battery in there to store the light the store the light energy and then release it but that that's pretty incredible stuff and in some ways that plays the, the sort of sustainability aspect uh, that we're seeing in watches but we'll we'll come on to that trend in a in a while i guess yeah um because that watch also it's not just the movement that's relevant in terms of them being ecological or looking at sustainability they've got an interesting strap on that piece but yeah you're right we'll we'll, we'll we've got another couple of brands that play well into that theme so hand wound as we're seeing a little bit more of as you've just discussed also perhaps it's a bit like an event and a process it's if you're wearing a dress watch you'd I, I think you're right in that if you haven't got time to wind your watch up every day or you've got a question yeah. uh, a question how mm-hmm. busy your life is 
Equally, it might not be something that you you want to do, which is why automatics are so popular. Do you think anyone might be it might work in the favour of the product, or do you think it it doesn't matter if the watch is great, the movement itself won't matter? I think it will need our, our, our I guess our guys in the stores and the people who are interested in watches or, or vaguely interested in watches to do some research, but but. Um, the, the idea of a mechanical watch, a hand-wound mechanical watch, needs to be explained. But, I mean, at its most basic, and again, here I'm showing my age, but, you know, certain people remember clockwork toys, and that's essentially, essentially you just you just wind them up and off they go. And that's, that's the same principle. Uh, and I don't think, because of the longer power reserve with a lot of these watches, that, you know, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30, 40 turns of a watch in a day is, is really that onerous. So... I think you can talk to people about, and again, it might sound slightly odd, but the romance of winding a watch up, it's intensely personal. In the same way that perhaps an automatic um, is quite personal because you need to move your arm in order to to, to wind that. Although, obviously, you can, you can manually wind them as well. But I don't think it's a problem. I think it's it's interesting that many brands are, 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 are making more manual wind watches. So, no, I, I think it's just an explanation thing, really. I think people will just need to understand that. And, and I think years back, when quartz watches were really in the ascendancy, which, you know, had a battery life of two or three years, you know, 20, 20 years ago, uh, people just put a watch on and, and, and off they went. It never really did any damage to Rolex, and Rolex have done only a tiny number of quartz watches in their entire life. But you think about all the ladies that would wear a 26mm date just... In, in, in days gone by, I don't think they were necessarily concerned that, that it was automatic or quartz, you, you just wore it. I think it's, it's just what you, what you come to accept and what you come to understand. And I think because we sell so many automatic winding watches, it's not such a big leap to, to actually winding the thing up yourself. I agree on the romanticism of it. I think it's a process and um, particularly as most watches at, at those price points are considered purchases. So if anything, you're dedicating a little bit more time to that purchase um so we'll see but yeah we just noticed a few more mechanical watches this year i think more more so than than we've seen in recent years case sizes has that changed or was there any call outs across the launches this year well uh, it's it's quite a broad topic i don't know whether um aligning watches in in the in the traditional way that we used to by by gender his and hers is is maybe a thing of the past it's it's now all about size and you know as i say size is everything and what we've seen particularly in, in, uh, in, in men's watches, uh, what we would traditionally call men's watches or the larger size watches, is a bit of a concentration uh, around the 40 to 43 mil case sizes. And we've seen what we would traditionally call ladies' watches increasing. So that everybody's got a gravitating to, to, to the middle. For I mean, for example, Amiga brought out... Um, their seventh size in the constellation collection so now they brought out a 34 mil so you know they they go uh, the sizes start for for the constellation in, in the upper 20 mils and, and finish at 41 but they've now, they've now brought out brought out a 34 so that was an interesting move on, on the kind of larger case sizes for, for for ladies and we saw that last year with breitling with the with the um with 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 the Chronomat 36 and 32, and Cartier with the 35mm Santos as, as well. Um, so there's a there's an increase into the 30s for ladies' watches. Some other changes for, for, for men's watches, for example, Panerai with the Luminor, they are, they're likely to drop the 42mm Luminor. They've introduced the 40mm, so now rather than having a 42 and a 44, you're going to have a 40 and a 44 and, and drop drop the 42 so you've got that bigger leap in sizes but you, it's probably two millimeters maybe isn't isn't that necessary cartier probably likely to drop the 42 millimeter ballon blur they've introduced a 40 which a 40 mil which is absolutely absolutely gorgeous we think that's going to be really successful as well. A bit of a misnomer in some ways was the um, what IWC did to the big pilot. <laughs> the big pilot. The big pilot. The big pilot, which was uh, well, the current incarnation is, is forty six mil. So they reduced that by three mil to forty three. It's still got all the, the 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 features of the big pilot, the big crown, the big legible dial, but it's now it's now forty three mil, probably a bit more wearable, perhaps. And they're introducing it on a bracelet, I think, for about eight thousand pounds, and with with a blue dial. So that's a, that's an evolution. And then similarly, the the current forty three millimeter 
pilot Chrono from uh, IWC is now going to be available with a 41 in a 41 millimeter case size with a glass back and an upgraded movement um, and and this easy strap change function that lots of brands are doing but again we'll probably talk about that later and perhaps the biggest change or the smallest change, depending on how you look at it, was what Rolex did to the Explorer. Um, that was quite something, wasn't it? Down to 29. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it was, it's come from 39 down to uh, uh, thirty-nine down to 36 mil, Sorry, 37. which was uh, which was the original size from the from the 1953 model. So that was that was really quite something. And, and, and we'll always expect the unexpected with Rolex, and I don't think anybody saw that one coming. But 5,150 in steel. How do you think the the market will respond to that? Thirty six millimeter is a very popular case size, um, but it's a professional watch. It's quite an unusual unusual move, but there is the, the the heritage behind that, so it might work for the purists. And also, they introduced it on the steel and a yellow gold, so a, a roller saw model, which we weren't expecting. I think you were anticipating. It was on the Explorer two. You were anticipating some change. So the smaller case size on a professional watch. Well, it's. It's got legitimacy because it was up on top of Everest in 1953 or whenever it was. So it's not like it's it's a path they've trodden before. I, I think it's an interesting move, and I think people, I think people will love it. And I, I I wonder if those people will be not just men but women as well. I mean, women do wear Rolex professional watches, Submariners, etc., 40, 41, 42 mil watches from Rolex, and it's it's just a classic clear-looking, great Rolex watch with a, with a great movement in it. That's all been upgraded. It's a, it's a really cool-looking thing. So I think I think anybody will buy that watch if they can get one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree. The simplicity of it and loyalty were two things that made it really quite striking. You touched on it slightly um, when we were just talking about one of the other models, so it was a really lovely segue in. We saw a lot of integrated bracelets last year. Has this trend continued this year? I mean, you have, you have, it has to a certain extent. I mean, you have uh, brands, uh, Panerai, for example, continue to uh, to, to um, attach bracelets and offer an, alter, an easy change into a strap option. So, yes, to a certain extent, but there is some developments going on in, in straps. And just to maybe put that into some sort of context, I mean, we're, we're familiar with the Rolex Oyster Flex, which probably came out in... I don't know, 2016, 2017, quite a long time ago. So the so the rubber the rubber the rubber bracelet, the Oyster Flex uh, Oyster Flex bracelet that, that Rolex uh, use on the on the on the Daytona uh, and, and, the and the Yachtmaster and the Yachtmaster. Yeah, uh, and, and that's um, it's not just a piece of rubber. That's got um, got, got some uh, metal inside that makes the thing comfortable and wearable. You know, even several years ago, you were starting to see developments in in, in straps and in rubber straps. Last year, Cartier introduced the the Santos with an ADLC treatment to it so that was black and you had this black rubber bracelet with screws in it so again it, it was it was rubber but it was it had some elements of interest this year you've got Zenith with the uh, with the extreme defy i mean that's available on on a, on a bracelet but the rubber strap it's kind of a sculptured rubber strap. It's it's um, it's it's sort of ribbed and shaped, etc. So that looks that looks particularly good. And then, as, as we sort of alluded to earlier, Cartier, the the, uh, the on the must collection, the watch with the solar uh, the solar movement, they've got a, a strap now that's well highly sustainable. I think it, it's um, it has a six times lower carbon footprint than a, a normal calf skin strap, and it's made from cotton and apple pulp. And, and other man-made materials, but basically, it's um, it's it's a great-looking strap. No animals were harmed in the production of, of this strap, which again is a uh, is something many people are, are rightly concerned about. And and from Cartier's perspective, it plays that sustainability thing when you combine the the, the low-impact strap with this uh, ultra-long life movement. We've also seen, I think, some with some brands, I think, are moving into alternate straps as well. Panerai are doing it on all of their models. So it's not just integrated. I think some brands are looking to diversify a little bit to give an option to clients where they've got, like you referenced Cartier, they did the interchangeable and easy uh, with the quick link, yeah. quick release. Mm-hmm. So I think brands are also listening to what the clients want, not just in terms of developing what they feel would be commercial because there's got to be a 
good perception of value I would imagine when you can change the straps yourself and give some variety you're effectively getting two watches for the price of one I mean you're dead right Cartier have sort of really really been uh, really been a, a key player in this over the last couple of years so yeah on the on the um, on the Santos from a couple of years back and on the last year's Pasha you you could buy the watch with a bracelet and get these uh, get a, get a strap in the box as well and you can change that really easily and they've continued that theme this year with some of the new Pasha introductions and, and a good example of that is the uh, is a Pasha chrono that that's just that's uh, going to be coming out fairly shortly so it's a, it's a it's a it's, a, it's an imposing watch on this on this lovely metal bracelet, but you put it on a strap and it completely transforms it. So you, you get the kind of you get kind of a, a kind of um, uh, I don't know perhaps a more professional looking watch on a bracelet, and then you can put it on the strap at weekends and, and it gives it a completely different look. So there are many brands doing that, as you say. Panerai is is another IWC. As we say, we're, we're introducing more watches on bracelets with some interchangeability to them. Yeah, Hublot have always done, or more recent years, done the one-click, which gives that functionality. So that wasn't new. It was just interesting to see some of the other brands move into that direction, which I think gives clients... I suppose if you're indecisive or you've got a decision between a couple of different options, because there are a lot of options mm-hmm. for any, any customer, it might be the type of thing that sways you, because you've then... you've It's two two watches in your collection. Two watches for the price of one, exactly. Um, uh, we talked about sustainability and eco pieces so i know that with cartier that was really interesting to see what they've done with the with the with the tank mast mm-hmm. um panerai yeah um i mean they had a, a a big sort of development piece that they showed called the elab id and it's made from recycled titanium from the case and, and the dial is recycled and, and the bridges i think it's well over um 80 of those components are made from recycled material and i think even the super luminova on the on the dial is is, is recycled as well so I think overall they're saying that 98% of, of the entire piece is made from recycled material, which, which is quite something. I mean, it's, it's very, very limited. It's, it's, it's really quite expensive at this, uh, this stage. But they are kind of other watches in the collection. I think due in October, you have the 44mm Luminors in E-Steel, which um, they're going to be limited editions of 500 pieces for about £7,600. I think 58% of the material... Uh, uh, 58% of the steel is, is made from recycled material and the uh, and the straps are also PET straps so they're, they, that's the, the symbol that you see on bottles PET uh, to indicate that it's, uh, the, the, uh, the material's recyclable so, so a lot going on in sustainability and recycling So there was a, the, the concept piece which they yep. do that quite often don't yeah. they every, every year or every couple of years mm-hmm. bring out a big piece that's um, incredibly limited and then and I suppose what they're doing is they're doing an integrated version that's slightly more accessible um, which will be it will be interesting to see how the rest of the brands move in further into this so we've seen it with some packaging and materials with other brands but um, yeah, I suppose they were the key ones this year I, I think sort of mechanical watches there's, there's an awful lot of synergy with that whole sustainability I mean assuming assuming the, the, the methods of production are, are, are quite sustainable but the whole idea of something that you can wind up and repair or something that's powered by the movement of your arm and still repair is is does sound really sustainable and you think about you know the the, the age-old patek strap line you know you never own a patek you, you're looking after it for the next generation that's i suppose to a certain extent it's these watches are expensive they shouldn't be disposable that's i guess that's a basis of sustainability isn't it it's not fast fashion or anything it's it's something you can keep for a long time and pass on and and repair and the thing will will continue to work and that you know when you think about the huge increase in interest in in vintage watches you know from the 50s 60s and and, and even before even before that i mean people people love old old watches vintage watches and we you know we have a great business in the u.s with with analog shift who are our vintage watch experts you know it, it's sustainable if you're wearing a watch that was from 1950 and it's still going that's quite something you know when you think about the disposability of if i've just invented a word there but the disposable aspect of uh, of many of the electronic devices that we have you know you have a, a smartphone for like three or four years it's cost you a thousand quid and then you uh, you upgrade and throw the other one away. Watches are not like that. 
No, that's, that's a good comparison, actually, because there is a, there's a recently been a lot of conversations about uh, tech watches or um, uh, smart watches and the comparison. They're always going to be an upgrade required, updates a bit like, as you said, like your, your smartphone or your, your Apple phone. So the longevity, there's already an element of sustainability in our industry, mm-hmm. which is interesting considering how many watches are brought out every year. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. yeah. um, a, little, a, little, a little bit of a... Um, contradiction there and for me the biggest theme that we saw Patek Nautilus, Audemars Royal Oak, IWC Pilot, Jaeger Le Coultre Reverso Tribute, Tudor Black Bay to name a few. Go, what was the common theme here? It has to be colour, we've seen a rainbow of colours over the well uh, uh, mostly from from last year actually. I mean traditionally particularly men, all the analysis that we have tells us that men like a black dial steel sports watch that's i don't know 70 percent of what we sell but we are seeing an increase in uh, in, in 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 varied dial colors you know, blues have always been a, a reasonably uh, small favorite but that's that's becoming a bigger trend and green as, as, as you were alluding to Faye, green is green is everywhere so as you say the patek nautilus so Traditionally in blue, in a blue dial, the 5711, it's having its last hurrah this year. They've put this beautiful, beautiful green dial on it, and it's going to be a limited production run through 2021, and then then it will then it will be over, or we'll we'll wait to see what comes next. But the word from uh, from Mr. Stern is that this green dial is is just for this year. Blue on the Luminor Chronos from from Panerai. Tag have got green on the boutique editions from the Monaco Rolex with their green palm dials on, on their 36mm datejusts. They were really exciting, terrific stuff. Breitling have got this lovely pistachio green. It's a divisive colour, but I, I personally like it. But on their uh, Heritage Chronograph, it's it's a really striking colour. And then one particular meeting that were, I attended via Zoom uh, last Friday was one of the independent brands that we now stock in, uh, well, we stock in, in Las Vegas and New York and in watches of Switzerland, Knightsbridge, was the Speak Marine Mint Green 1 and 2 Dual Time. It's a black and titanium case on a green strap with this kind of open work dial in this glorious, glorious mint green. They're only making, I think, 18 in 42 mil and 10 in 38 but that was that was wonderful and, and and just to go on a bit further i was speaking to to rolf studer who's the ceo of uh, oris the the other day um and and they've introduced their cotton candy collection i mean they're bronze cased bronze bracelet and and the dial colors are sky blue wild green and lipstick pink and uh, they're 38 mil cases uh, they're i think 1950 pounds and when I asked him kind of what was the reasoning behind it, he, he just simply said, well, things have been so depressing all year. They wanted to produce something that, w- that was, was literally joyful and, and made people smile. And when you look at them, they, they do actually make you smile. Uh, well, they made me smile anyway. And, and they, were, they, they were great. Lipstick pink, your, your natural choice, right? Not particularly, no, no, no. I mean, the, 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 blue, was, uh, the, the blue was nice. It was like a, a nice sky blue. It was really good. Yeah, I'd agree. I think also introducing those type of colors they're not necessarily they're not going to dominate any assortment but it also introduces it probably to a slightly different client a different demographic they're quite they're really young and fresh so at that price point you might not it gives the credibility of a swiss swiss watch brand but you've got some fun and some injection i suppose then the um jaeger reverso tribute in with a green dial with a green dial yeah um the iwc pilots they did they introduced green last year mm-hmm. with the port and starboard dials, but on this year on the pilots. It's blue and green, yeah. Yeah, Black Bay, the gold model. Yeah, the Black Bay with the uh, with the green bezel and the, the um, gold case. Uh, yeah, that was that was quite that was quite something. Um, again, that that was unexpected. I think it, I think it's I think it's Tudor's first uh, eighteen carat uh, Black Bay, but that looks really good. It's 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 a, it's a, it's a really really good green. And, and coming back to the Jaeger, you mentioned uh, the the Reverso. Um, I mean, it's ninety years old as a Reverso, so that's kind of their celebratory piece, and it, and it and it and it looks really good. Yeah, it's due out much later this year. Um, so one brand has dominated and owned the green dial market. You know, there's, I think, I think it's safe to say Rolex has completely owned that up until this point. But you've referenced there was a lot of colour. Green has been everywhere. I mean, probably great for the Americans because it's their favourite colour. Um, <laughs> and uh, do you think that the the 
the credibility of all of the Rolex dials, whether it was on the on the subs when we had the Hulk before and the, the new carnation that they brought out last year, whether it's the Daytona on the on the gold, if you've referenced the palm dials that were introduced on the, motif, the motifs this year, do you think that will help elevate on the other brands? I mean, most of them are very credible anyway, but on their own, but it's a, a step away from the very classic blue and black dials. Do you think it'll elevate? Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I think in some ways it's, it's slightly allied to the, the, the strap and bracelet interchangeability aspect because I think certainly for, for, for men perhaps, there's now more of a willingness to have a different watch for different occasions, different parts of your life, different uh, you know different activities that you're doing. And, and so I think you know different dial colours are a really obvious way of saying I'm wearing a different watch today because black's black. I think I think there's more acceptance of colours. I mean, it's one of those things. Isn't it? The more you see colours, the more you, you the more you perhaps become become accepting of them. So, if we're offering that variety, we'll be able to see how that trend goes. But I mean, data we've got over the last couple of years does show that green is increasing, that that blue is increasing. There's a profusion of of colours at the moment. So it will be it will be interesting to see how they go. And, and again, coming back to the Oris point, it, it, it's maybe maybe a counterpoint to the you know relatively well relatively the incredibly difficult year we've had through 2020. You know, it's maybe a little bit celebratory the the, uh, the dial colours. I may be stretching it a little bit, but well, you know what I mean. No, we saw it on the Oyster Perpetuals last year, didn't we? We were with with, with Rolex's launch in September. They were bright and bold and fantastic. Um, yeah, and exact. I think their theme was the same in that it's just quite joyous, and that's and and that's really nice. Um, do you think there's been a saturation in the black and blue dial market? I don't think uh, you're ever going to get away from 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 black black dials i mean you know they, they they are they are a classic isn't it it's like a white t-shirt almost you know but um you know black dials are uh, are still incredibly valid probably will still always be a big part of of, of what we we do and i mean on that whole, whole that, that whole black theme thing the uh, the amiga diver 300 black black uh, so good they named it twice black yep. black i mean that was on a black rubber strap um it's a black ceramic case it's Got a black bezel, a black ceramic uh, bezel. The dial is black. The hands are black. The, the the dots on the dial are black. The whole thing is black, black. Um, and um, it, has the it, legibility on it. Well, that that's the that's the that's the key point because it, it's the clever stuff they've done with uh, in terms of the satinized finish on the on the bezel and and uh, I think the raised uh, numerals on the bezel, the satinized and polishing. It, it does make it distinct. It does make differentiating what's on the bezel distinct and on and on the dial you've got the sort of wave with the wave pattern through through the dial like you like you would normally have you can you can tell the time on it, it but it's a very stealthy looking watch and and it's got you know it's got great loom it's got, got sort of like the blue loom and i think the green uh, the green um, hour hand like like they normally have but you know totally opposed to color it's a com- it's a completely black black watch as i say so good they named it twice Okay, so black is the, is still the new black, whilst we've got green is also the new black. And we think this is more diversification as opposed to cannibalisation in the watch market. As you said, it gives another option for some something to, someone yeah, to wear. I would say so. And yeah, I, th- I think your point being is the more, more we see it, the less radical it is. And mm-hmm. one doesn't raise their eyebrow at a gentleman wearing a, a watch with a green strap on it. No. Okay, I think we've also seen some new materials, or sorry, not new, natural materials quite a lot as well this year. Rolex did a lot on the meteorite dial, they reintroduced it, which we've previously only seen in the GMT. It'll be really interesting to see how that, how that, the availability, which is always an issue for, for that brand, because with natural stones, sometimes they become a little bit harder um, because it's not a production, it's, it's, yeah, it's not yeah. a production element, and they reintroduced the lapis and the malachite dials on the thirty-six millimeters, which I've always really loved. And Blue I won't, green. but yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And there was a new stone that was introduced on the precious metal pieces. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it. it. Began with T, uh, didn't it? I think uh, it did. Yeah. That, that, I, I will leave that to the experts. Clearly, is not me on that one. But um, lots of natural stones as well, mm-hmm. which again, I suppose, goes back to the eco theme and the sustainability, which is nice. So I think we've like covered case sizes, movements, materials. Was there anything interesting? We've referenced the Tudor gold model, and they did a silver piece as well. The nine two five, yeah, nine two five silver. That was that was quite something. So it's a, it's a Black Bay fifty eight uh, with all the kind of 
sort of gorgeous looks that that watch has but it's in the case is um is in 925 silver it's it, it sort of stabilized so it won't particularly it won't it won't tarnish and it won't be impacted i mean it will develop a patina over time um so i believe but it's a very cool metal and, and has a has a, a very sort of warm and, and sort of mellow mellow look to it, sort of different to steel. And they've paired it with a soft grey. I keep wanting to call it mushroom, but um, a soft grey dial and bezel. And and that looks it, it looks fantastic. It's three thousand two hundred and thirty pounds, so it's it's, it's o- uh, priced over the, uh, the the regular steel version. But it, it's something. It, 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 yeah, it's, it's something rather rather lovely actually. I think it's a, a very very cool looking watch. The other material that was was, was of interest. I mean, all, all these brands tend to be um, tend to be alchemists, and they they kind of reinvent gold if they possibly can. But the Amiga Seamaster three hundred was very very nice indeed. They brought it out in their bronze gold, if you, if you remember. So it's three seven five thirty seven point five percent gold, which makes it nine carat, and it's uh, mixed with bronze and palladium and silver. And again, it's got a really warm look, and it's uh, what nine thousand nine hundred twenty pounds under ten thousand pounds. Which, considering what it is, it's got their lovely uh, manual wind calibre eight nine one two master chronometer movement in with a sixty hours power reserve. It's great. Actually, it's automatic, isn't it? Yeah, it's automatic. I think, uh, but it's a very very cool looking watch. Okay. Um, actually, you've just touched on something that's quite interesting. We haven't talked too much about it. Pricing this year feels like it's been quite commercial accessible it doesn't some sometimes we're introduced to pieces that are kind of quite fantastically expensive i mean in our world it 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 is anyway i mean we you know i I say this quite frequently we get very complacent and go oh gosh how do they do it for the money it's only twelve thousand pounds whilst the production obviously on this year's launches would have been way ahead of the pandemic it does feel that brands have been very sensible and respectful with their pricing. I can't think of anything that is overpriced or they've in, sort of Cartier or their pricing is, I suppose it's because they've phased out on the solo and they're introducing the must. So it was a good price point. And also as case sizes have come down a little, so in the pilot down, uh, down to 43 millimeters, as you've discussed, the ballon blurs come down or in, they've introduced it on the 40 millimeter. So, it maybe feels that pricing is quite appropriate this year. Yeah, I I, I think so. Um, I mean, I think it, it, it obviously well, it clearly depends what the brands are introducing. If you think about Panerai from from twenty twenty, they were a lot using uh, lots of interesting materials, Carbo Tech, and and all, all all that sort of exciting stuff that they do, which tends to make the watches uh, more expensive because you've got all that investment in technology and and how how the um, how the, uh, the the watches are made but their introductions this year tended to be in steel and tended to be relatively uh, you know in line with the average selling price you know 6 7 8000 pounds and and some of their chronographs for for under 10000 pounds again uh, you know we we sound a bit a, a bit a bit glib oh, it's you know under 10000 pounds but they are well priced for, for what they are and again coming back to as I mentioned it earlier the Breitling Premier Heritage split seconds chronograph is about 7700 pounds it's a great, great looking watch, and it's a split seconds chronograph, so you're able to, you know, you're able to to, to, to time a first, uh, first and second finish to the second uh, with 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 that particular watch. So, you know, technologically speaking, it, that, that, that's really great, really democratic pricing because split second chronographs tend to be tend to be rel- relatively expensive, and this one isn't. But it's a great watch. I love watch for your buck. Yeah. Any other trends? I think we've covered most, but have I missed anything or is there anything that you've identified? I mean, not so much. I suppose coming back to sort of movement development a little bit, um, something I didn't necessarily mention earlier was, um, and, we, and we only saw it yesterday, was Patek with their 5236P, their inline perpetual calendar. Um, so they developed a new movement, a 31260 PSQL, and the, the date is presented in line. Uh, just under 12 o'clock via four date wheels. So, you know, Patek are, are famous for their perpetual calendars, and they've based this design on, on I think it was a pocket watch from the 19, 1970s. That pocket watch, was, I think, was about 46 mil, uh, and they've managed to accommodate the same kind of date configuration in, in a much, much smaller case, which is a, a real technological feat. And they explained how, how they've done it using 
four date wheels. But I mean, they've overcome loads of uh, loads of obstacles to, to to get that date presentation in in such a small space. So that was that was quite something. Yeah, that was that was really a big deal actually. And any key pieces? I don't know if that's the same as favourites. No, let's keep them separate. What what were the sort of standout pieces from brands this year that you felt? It could be down to innovation, it could be down to pricing. It could be a long list. I mean, I, I, um, I was just thinking about Rolex and we mentioned the, 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 it was the 50th anniversary of the Explorer 2. So um, there'd been a lot of speculation about what they might do to that. And unfortunately, they kept the watch looking pretty much as it did, which was, which was great. But they upgraded the movement to the 3285 with a 72-hour power reserve. Uh, they slightly reprofiled the case. The dial has got longer-lasting blue chromolite loom. You've got the black and white dial still. And I absolutely love that watch. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's £6,800. It, it, it's fantastic. So I'm glad they didn't mess with an icon. Which was which was great, but as, as we said earlier, the big surprise was on the Explorer, the, the Explorer One, if we can call it, the, the original Explorer uh, coming down in size, and as you mentioned, doing it in uh, in, in steel and, and yellow roller saw, which was totally unexpected. Yeah, a bit I don't of a curveball. Anybody, I don't think anybody expected that. So that was that was quite something, and uh, I mean the price the price is um, is eight thousand seven hundred. So uh, again, cons- considering what you're getting, it's it's. It's it's really quite it's really quite something and it, and it's and it's Rolex you know giving us a surprise coming out of left field which you would in some ways you don't expect them to but I don't know why we don't expect them to because they always pull out something exceptional. I think exceptional. they do it every year. Yeah. I think I mean we 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 play the game from the beginning of the year what what's Rolex going what what's going to come out but it's let's be honest it's very Rolex um, heavily focused that conversation there's a lot of you know, whether it's out on the internet, there's there's the predictions. Very rarely does anyone get it right, yeah. and they always surprise us. Yeah. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter how how big or small the surprises are. It's like you said, we weren't expecting um, we weren't expecting the smaller case size, and certainly weren't wasn't expecting it in the in the mixed metal. So I. I've stopped playing that game years ago because I'm a really sore loser. <laughs> so it doesn't work in my favour for me to not be able to figure out what they're doing. But it's it's always a a, a great day. So, any other standout pieces from? Yeah, I, I mean, Yuli's Nardan um, was kind of as wonderful as ever, really. I mean, they've got their Diver X skeleton, which is about eighteen thousand pounds. I mean, the brand is one hundred and seventy-five years old, and so they're making one hundred and seventy-five of a forty-four millimeter titanium case Diver X skeleton. It's in blue with orange highlights, and it looks it looks amazing. It really, really really impresses me i mean my i, I have a i have a diver a yulee's nylon diver but it's i think mine's about 20 years old and very original but this is a fantastic interpretation of it and i think the thing that most surprised me from them and i thought it was fantastic was the clock the ufo clock it's it's a the, so yulee's nylon uh, you know they kind of have an anchor as their symbol they're Kind of a seafaring brand. They're known, known for making, producing ships chronometers since well, 18, 1846. and they they've kind of tried to reimagine what a ship's chronometer would look like if they'd produced it in in two thousand one hundred ninety six, i.e., one hundred seventy five years in the future. So it, it's a nice story. But you have this wonderful clock, which is almost shaped like a a boy. One of That's those exactly things, it. Which is shaped, you know, a sea boy. And the thing actually has a curved bottom, so you can push it and it will it will rock backwards and forwards, but it, it, it's just breathtaking. There are 675 parts in it. It's three time zones. It, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's got a deadbeat seconds, which means usually in mechanical uh, watches and clocks, the seconds sweep, but this has a stopping seconds. It kind of ticks like a quartz almost. It's got six barrels, which is where the power is stored, and it's got a one-year power reserve. So you only have to wind it up once a year. They don't tell you how long it takes to wind it up, but I guess there's, a, I guess there's something that there's some mechanism which will make it relatively easy. But it's around <laughs> thirty-three thousand uh, pounds. I think they're making seventy-five of them, and it, and it's worth looking at it because it's just amazing. I believe that was original. I'm not sure if they're still calling it, but they were calling it a UFO, unidentified floating object. That's correct. Um, yes, they were sort yeah. of part of their marketing, yeah, yeah. and I think it can be personalised as well. Not the entire clock, but there are elements of it. Yeah. I mean, you said it's a year power reserve. There's only one other clock that's superior to that, and that's the Atmos by Jaeger. Mm-hmm. So, in that market for the limitation and all of the 
elements that it, it, it's you're right it's um it really is a piece actually i'm a re- i was a really big fan of the diver x as well yeah. comes on the orange rubber strap as well and in the states we're giving it away as a as a as a as a gift with purchase so the client can just because we didn't know where the sales were going to be with the blue or the yeah, yeah. or the orange mm-hmm. so hopefully with that much limitation it will just drive the the demand but great looking watch um i think one of the other things that from a from a personal perspective, was 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 really most welcome in terms of something that was had become slightly missing from a range was as I alluded to earlier the addition to the Calatrava collection from Patek with the six one one nine. So you have the um, you have the currently have the five one nine six and then you have the five two two seven and it, they really needed a mid price point between that. So so that's what you have twenty two thousand seven hundred seventy pounds. In, in rose gold or white gold, um, and they are just beautiful. It's um, it's a return of the the hobnail bezel, as we would call it, or rather rom- more romantically, Clou de Paris. It's kind of those uh, sort of square-shaped little pyramid effects that you get round round the bezel. Last seen, I think, on the on the 5119 Patek that was discontinued several years back. It's got a new movement, uh, manually wound, uh, the 3255 PS uh, with, the, with the twin barrels. Uh, and it's, it's just an amazing looking watch. I particularly love the rose gold version. It's got a lovely silvery dial and, and, and strong battens and these lovely dauphine shaped hands. Which, which It's an understated watch, but it, it's mighty impressive. Uh, it's something that we've, we've all been hoping Patek would, uh, would reintroduce. So that, that's a, that was a fantastic thing. And tag at you know um, at a lower price point, they're doing lots of work on the Aqua Racer Professional 300 meter collection, and I think for me the pick of the bunch there was the uh, titanium case and bracelet with a, again a green dial. It's a limited edition of 3,000 for I think it's around three and a half thousand pounds, but that was exceptional, exceptionally great looking watch. Bang on trend with the colour. It's an interesting material, titanium. It kind of expresses what what Tag Heuer do really, really well. So it's a great watch. Amazing. So I think what I want to know from you now is just your favourites, really. If you had to choose, how many do you want? One, two, or three? Uh, all of them. Um, <laughs> so oh, from, from what was so I mean we've, we've talked about some um, some standout pieces of what the brands have done. That doesn't necessarily mean it's your favourite, but I just um, and I know it's difficult to choose. It's uh, yeah, it's who's your favourite child, isn't it? A little bit. I've only got one. I was so going to say okay. you've got one. So, so, so that's okay. So, so she'll be relieved to find out. That it's her, which is uh, uh, yeah, uh, gosh, I mean it's 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 a tricky one. I mean, I, I have sort of waxed lyrical a little bit about the uh, about the, the the Breitling Heritage split second, which which I do I do like a lot. I think it, I think it's really lovely. I think um, I think one of the one of the um, again, it's it's kind of understated as well. But we, we I think in the UK we've got a month exclusive on the on the Blue Dial Master Ultra Thin from Jaeger Lecoult. Eight and a half thousand pounds. That did really well in the Reserve de Marche, didn't it, a few years ago? And then I think that was discontinued or it was phased out. But that, yeah. So that should that will be beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's a very classic sort of petroly blue dial. That looks that's that looks really good. But I mean, it's 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 almost impossible to pick a favourite because you know the watches that we've seen, we've seen extreme sports watches. You know, Oris with her Aquas Pro divers watch down to beautiful delicate colours from all sorts of different brands technology sustainability i mean there's so many there's a watch for every customer and hopefully there's a customer for every watch um we we hope we hope that actually works out (laughs) um but but yeah i mean it was despite last year you would say it was a uh, it was it was a great year for new introductions Uh, and this year i guess some of the introductions from last year may have rolled over into this year but there's um, a huge amount of energy and vibrancy not just in the colors but but through through the watch industry at the moment i i, I couldn't really pick i couldn't really pick one watch there are, there are so many have you got a favorite i think towards the end of the year i haven't this is again the challenge of not seeing it in the flesh cartier isn't my normal go-to actually as a uh, for a favorite but they have a Ballon Bleu in a um, in like an ice blue dial oh, that's yeah. going to come out in December. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I think it will mm. um, add something to that collection. I think it's really pretty and really fresh, quite feminine as well. So I, that I was very taken with the diver, as I referenced before. In my eyes, relics can do no wrong. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think the ice blue on the on the steel Ballon Bleu is something that I'm going to be really excited to see later this year. 
So I think as a summary of that tour, it's been interesting to see what the brands have done. It's, I say it all the time, I've got one of the best jobs in the world. So this week, it was always going to be interesting to see how, how, how the fairs fared. And without the excitement and the anticipation of seeing the product itself, I think it went really well. I think the brands were, correct me if I'm wrong, everyone was quite loyal to what has worked for them. So... Rolex have either just introduced some bracelets, for example, on the Skydweller. We've talked about the Explorers, very loyal to the both pieces, the original, which came down in the case size 36, and the Explorer 2 as the anniversary. Patek, Calatrava pieces you've spoken about, and the green dial on the Nautilus. The 5711 has always been so popular, so that's just going to be um, incredible. Cartier's, their focus was on the Ballon Bleu and the tank the sorry the must as an introduction as a replacement for the silo again loyalty to their original pieces we saw the aquaterra on amiga the aqua racer on the tag which you've referenced and i think along with some injections of color and freshness which is probably what we really need and a little bit of innovation from some of the brands and some creativity and some personality i feel like we're going into this next year with a bit of familiarity but a breath of fresh air Mm -hmm. so i'm I'm going to applaud the watch industry for 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 doing that it sounds somewhat twee perhaps but i think as we've reviewed the the wonderful launches of the year that's how i think it feels so hopefully our clients will feel the same and the other thing is there's a lot of staggered launches throughout the year which is great for communication Mm -hmm. for interest to keep people talking but um yeah that's my thoughts that's my thoughts on the year so thank you very much mark for joining me we've now got a lot of work to do <laughs> well we have indeed yeah yeah i mean as indeed as indeed the store teams because we opened the stores on monday in, in most most of parts of the uk so that was that was uh that was really exciting and and um, it, it's good to see people coming back in a in a kind of well safe environment we have all our appointments and social distancing so people can feel safe and secure coming in but yeah the, nothing beats seeing the watches no so yeah, actually to the point of our retail teams they're actually the lucky ones they get to see the clients make mm-hmm. their day and actually see the watches indeed yeah <laughs> great thanks mark thank you thank you for listening to the caliber podcast we do hope you enjoyed it please do subscribe and listen to other episodes on apple podcast and spotify